Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. Uh, today, we're going to do what we were going to do last week. We're going to do Spiritual Roadblocks, Part 3. Part 3. So you have an outline in the bulletin there. You can follow along. We're going to be back in Mark chapter 12 in a couple weeks. We'll get, we're going to finish Mark this year. I almost promise. All right, so we're going to finish Mark this year. But uh, the last two weeks, I decided to start off this, felt God's leading to start off the year with spiritual roadblocks. And the outline, it kind of goes along. And I thought I was going to do it all in one week, but I didn't. I only got through number one on there. The, the poor Christ image. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. If you weren't here for that, listen to that. Get the CD, get the handout on the back table. Because it talks about who we are in Christ. And it's vital, that whole list of, of who we are in Christ, it's vital that we memorize those verses and we meditate on them. It, just one a week. Although, uh, Yoshi's already got through the whole list. Thank you, Yoshi, through the whole list. I said, Yoshi. You're supposed to take the whole year on us, but she's an overachiever. She gets a star, you know, the A. Uh, good job, Yoshi. Good job. I love it. She's telling me all this stuff. I, I, that's so encouraging to me to hear people really taking that. And, and by faith, we live out the truth of who we are in Christ. Those promises that are on that sheet, we take it, we live it out by faith. We, by faith, we take a hold of those. And I talked about how 2016 can be a year of transformation. Real change, life change, that we don't have to come into 2017. If Jesus doesn't come back again, please come. But anyway, if he, but if he hasn't come yet, we don't have to be like, oh, here I am, stuck here again. It could be a year of transformation. And then last week, we talked about, we revisited the poor Christ image, and we focused on understanding God's love. God's love, which we were just singing about, just so, so touching. And how that has to be the motivation to live the Christian life is God's love. And if you weren't here, once again, get the CD or listen to the podcast, YouTube, because it's so foundational. Because if we don't understand God's love, and we don't understand who we are in Christ, we're going to be stuck spiritually. Stuck. We won't be able to move forward spiritually if we don't understand His love and understand who we are in Christ. We're going to be stuck. It reminds me of, um, some of you have been here a little longer. You might remember my first car story. I haven't told this in a while. So, but it reminded me about being stuck. My very first car, I was, I think I was 17 at the time, and I was looking for a car, and I, and I had a cow. I was going to sell one of my cows and buy a car. Uh, it was an even trade. And so uh, I decided I wanted a car. I didn't want to ride with my brother anymore in his car. So I said, Dad, I'm going to go out and buy a car. He's like, you don't need a car, right? With no, Dad, I'm going to buy a car. Don't tell me what to do. I'm going to sell a cow. I'm going to get a car. You know, I had a bunch of cows. I had a bunch of cows. So, uh, so I went out looking. He says, well, let me go look with you. No, Dad, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I'm going to find my own car because he's going to probably want me to buy something stupid, right? So I, so I went out and I start looking and I, I saw the perfect car. It was like a vision. It was, it was a VW, a VW, 1970 VW, yellow. It was yellow for a reason. You ever heard of a lemon? Well, anyway, we'll get to that. So, so uh, it had more problems with this car. But anyway, I caused some of them. And the, this yellow VW, and I, get, and I start talking to the guy I actually knew him from school, and, and it wasn't just a VW, it was a super beetle. 
I don't know if any of you remember the Super Beatles, but it wasn't just any old Vita. It was a Super Beetle. And I, I'm really excited. And, he, and I took it out for a test drive with him, and I, I was ready for this car. I said, this is a great car, right? Anything but riding with my brother. So anyway, so I, I, uh, my brother Billy. So anyway, the, um, he showed me how to drive. He said, now this is, i got an automatic clutch. An automatic clutch. And what, what he said to me was, you can either push down on the clutch with your foot and shift, or you can push down on the handle and shift, because it's got an automatic clutch. That's what he said. What I heard him say was, because I was just so anxious to go drive my car, uh, my Super Beetle, what I heard him say was, you can either shift the car, or it'll shift itself. Automatic. That's, you know, it's an automatic clutch. So I just thought you could either shift or not shift. It's Super Beetle, right? So, uh, automatic clutch. So, okay, great, great. So, uh, driving home, I was shifting. I pushed down and I shifted. And, and then, you know, and I was doing the whole thing. And then sometimes I used the handle. I pushed down the handle and shift. You didn't have to use my foot. thought that was great. So, I'm driving this, I'm driving this, uh, my car around. And my, pulling and my dad's like, did you pay for it yet? I go, yeah, I paid for it. He goes, oh, you know, I can see his face, you know. I go, don't make fun of my car, Dad. It's a good car, you know. And, you know, you don't know anything. My dad doesn't know anything about cars. So I got the Super Beetle, right, an automatic clutch. And so I start to drive it. And the first day I, I used the, the foot clutch or the hand clutch. But after that, I got a little bored with that. I Shifting was no big deal to me. I learned how to drive with shifting, and, and that's all we had. And so I said, I'm just going to quit shifting. I'm just going to let the automatic take over. And, and I started driving around. But the funny thing happened with my car. I, it just didn't go as fast anymore. I just couldn't. It took forever. Go 30, then 40. Sometimes I even got to almost 50, but it wouldn't go over 50. I'm like, oh, no, maybe I got the wrong, maybe there's something wrong with this car. And it was loud. Just winding. It was loud. But it was a super beetle, right? So, so it was loud, and it was burning up oil and burning belts. And it was like, in a, within, within a week, I was burning oil and bur- I just kept changing the belt. It was crazy. And, and people, would, my dad was like, it sounds kind of loud. Something's wrong with it. I go, Dad, it's because it's a super beetle. Quit picking on my car. He goes, something's not right, Chuck. It shouldn't be burning belt. Dad, leave me alone. It's my car. And I'm sure none of you guys have ever been like that. And so, uh, so yeah, people would hear me coming. They'd say, I knew you were coming a long time ago. I could hear it coming. Yeah. So finally, I burned another belt chewed up some more oil, and my dad, I'll never forget, I pull in the driveway, and he says, I want to talk to you about the car. Dad, don't get in the car. I'm going to ride in this car with you. Something's not right. So so he gets, I'll never forget, we get in the car, we're out by by the barn there. I get in the car, he gets in the car, and we pull out onto the road, and we start going to the road, and my dad goes, Shift, shift the car. I go, I, I go, what? He goes, shift the car. You know, it's like being in an army tank. I don't know if you saw the movie Tank. It was like that, you know. And I go, I don't have to shift. It's got an automatic clutch. And he goes, stop the car. <laughs> it's true. I was driving around in first gear all over the place. Now, why do you think this guy has to be a moron? And I am tech, you know, mechanically declined. I admit it. You know, I can't do anything. But, but a lot of you are thinking how stupid that was. But a lot of us do the same thing spiritually. Spiritually. I'll bet most of us are stuck spiritually. We're stuck in the first gear. We put our faith in Jesus Christ, and at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes in, and we have the Holy Spirit living inside. We have immense spiritual power, and we should be moving forward spiritually, but we find ourselves 
burning a lot of energy and, and burning a lot of belts and stuck in the same place day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, stuck in that same place because we are stuck spiritually because of spiritual roadblocks in our life. We never shift gears spiritually. And that's what I want to focus on. That's what we started with talking about the poor Christ image. If we don't know who we are in Christ, if we don't understand the great love of Christ for us that, that he died on the cross, if we don't understand that, we'll never move forward. And there's some other really important ones that we're going to hit this week and next week uh, about that keep us from moving forward spiritually. Let me pray. Father, we know that we're all here for a reason. Maybe we're here today to become a Christian. Maybe we're here today to, to, to break free of something. Maybe we're to, to understand your mercy and grace in a whole new way today. Maybe there's something that needs to be forgiven in our life. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you look at the insert, I'm going to actually go to number three and come back to two today. But the insert, spiritual roadblocks, what's holding us back? And the number three on the list is sin. Sin. Sin is anything, the Bible calls it anything that goes against God's word, anything that goes against his plan for our life. This is God's perfect plan for our life. He laid it out for us. It's not to be mean. It's not to wreck our fun. It's not to ruin us. It's not to, you know, keep us from having fun. We've talked about that many times. No, it's so we can have real fun, so we can have real joy, real peace, the ultimate life that he's always wanted us to have. That's what it is. But anything that goes against God's word, his plan for our life, is called sin. It's sin. And sin is this thing that it looks good, but it's really bad for us. That's what sin is. Sin is tempting. Satan makes it look tempting. It looks good, but it's really bad for us, and it will ultimately kill us physically and spiritually. It will ultimately kill us. I think, I use, I think of drugs often with this. So many people using drugs, addicted to drugs, you know. And why do we use drugs? Why do we, why do we break the law and, and, and do something stupid like using drugs why because it feels good it makes us feel good for a a little that little window of time we feel good but what happens sooner or later you need a stronger drug and a stronger drug to get that high and finally it ends up destroying us that's what drugs do that's why they're illegal that's why we encourage our you know people not to use them because it has to be stronger and stronger and they finally destroy us and that's a picture of sin that's, that's what sin is like. But the most serious part of sin is it destroys our communion with God. That's the most serious part of it. In fact, the verse that I've listed in there is 1 Peter 4.7. And in 1 Peter 4.7, he says, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. And when we're not self-controlled, when we give in to sin, when, we, when we're not clear-minded because of sin, our mind and hearts are affected, we can't pray. Why? Because our communion is broken with God. Sin breaks our fellowship. That's what sin does. It not only hurts us, like taking a drug, but it, but it also breaks our fellowship with our, our Heavenly Father. That's what it does. Every sin is like, is like a brick in a wall. Every time we sin, we put up a brick in that wall, and we're building a wall between us. Thinking, I think of uh, drugs, too. If, if, you, um, if you're a parent and your child is using drugs, what happens to that kid? They become delusional. You're like, who is this kid? 
Is this really the kid who I used to think clearly and, and, and I could have a relationship with and, and all that? But, but when they start to take drugs, they start to say the stupidest things and, and act stupid and, and they just become delusional. And the crazy thing is they all say the same thing. Kids on drugs always say the same thing. Oh, it's going to be legal someday, and it doesn't, it's not bad for you. And, you know, the, oh, on and on. You know, you know, all the stupid stuff we, we say when we're in sin. But, but they be, it becomes the problem with that, though. The real bad thing is when your kid is using drugs, it's hard to have a, a relationship, a close relationship. It's heartbreaking to see them scar themselves. And often destroy themselves. It's heartbreaking to, to watch that happen. And, and it, it hurts. You, you just can't have a close, intimate relationship with them because of that. And that, once again, is a picture of us and sin. That's what happens. when we, We're still God's children. When we sin, we're still his child. That doesn't break that, the, that, that part of the relationship, but it affects the fellowship. It affects the communion. We can't have that, that close relationship with God until we confess, until we repent, until we make it right. Just like with your kids, parents and kids. If, you're, if your kids do something wrong and, and let's say they're doing drugs, they have to repent of that and confess it and make it right before you can have that close relationship again. It's the same thing with us and God. We have to confess and repent and turn away from our sin so that we can have that closeness again. First John 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. Very important that we have that daily time that we confess sin and, and ask God to forgive us and, and make things right with him so that we can be close to him. Very, very important. Sin also affects the body of Christ. Sin affects... When we do something wrong, it doesn't just affect us. It affects our family. It affects all of our relationships. It affects the body of Christ. It's toxic. Use an example. If, if you take, and I'm using the drug thing here from the beginning because it's an easy illustration, but if you take drugs, it, it hurts your whole body. It hurts, it hurts you completely, your whole person. It hurts you physically. It hurts you emotionally. It hurts you mentally. And that's a picture of what happens when we sin. Our sin affects the body of Christ. It doesn't just affect us. It, it hurts the whole body. You remember Joshua, when they're going in, they... they took Jericho, and they were going into the promised land. And remember Achan? Achan's sin, he hid some of the stuff that was all supposed to be destroyed, all the gold and silver and all that. He, he took some, some of the, the, the loot, and he, he hid it, he sinned against, and then he went out into battle, and they were defeated in battle because of one man's sin affected the entire Israelite community. Achan's sin. It affects everybody. Carnality and worldliness. It, when, it, when we bring that into the church, one person can bring it in. It, it affects the whole church. The Bible, Paul said, a little leaven works through the whole batch of dough. It affects the church. Moral failure. If, if a pastor or a spiritual leader in a church has a moral failure, it, it devastates the church. We've all seen that happen. Uh, stealing, if the treasurer steals, that nobody's going to want to give to the church. You know, it affects the, the, the church. You, you, you read these stories in the paper all the time. It hurts the ministry and the reputation. Sin affects the church. It really affects the church. I was speaking at a retreat years ago, and in the retreat, uh, the worship team was pretty good, but there just was something not right. They were really talented, but something wasn't right. The spirit was not moving. And, and, and we didn't know what was going on on this retreat. And I, I, I preached about, I can't remember exactly what, but I, I hit sin. And when I did, 
all of a sudden, one by one, the people on the worship team, which were their leaders of this church, started coming to the pastor or coming to me during the retreat and confessing some very, very serious sins. Now, they weren't just, you know, little white lies. They were serious sins. And, and little by little, the pastor and I sat down, and he realized the reason the Spirit wasn't moving in their church was because they had very serious sin. The whole worship team was up there worshiping. It was in a very deep sin. And one by one, he had to remove them. They just stepped off. And by the end of the retreat, he had nobody on the worship team or his leadership team. And he said, uh, thanks, I think. And uh, I said, listen, this is where God wants you. It's better to have you go up there with a kazoo and lead the worship without sin than to have a massive, fancy worship team with sin, right? He said, yeah, okay, you're right. So, so that, that, but that, that's, that's what sin does. It blocks. If we have gossip in the church, it starts spreading in gossip. Uh, uh, that, that spreads throughout the church and, and, it, and it poisons the church. Racism. Tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day and, and racism is a huge problem, a, a huge sin in the Christian church. And that's why the body of Christ must lead in breaking down the walls and, and, and making a difference. And there shouldn't be any, we shouldn't even see color in the body of Christ. It, it shouldn't even be part of, of, of the body of Christ in any way, shape, or form. Sin affects the church, and that's why church discipline is so vital. Church discipline is so vital. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13, the Apostle Paul talks about that. He says, listen to this. He said, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Very, very important. But now, if you've read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you know this is to be done in love. The purpose is not to be mean. This is not to hurt people. This is called tough love. You do it because you love the people. And you, just like you discipline your children if you love them, you dis, God wants to discipline his children because he loves them. And, and, and the goal of this discipline that he talks about is restoration. That's the whole focus. It's not to put them out and get rid of them. It's to try to wake them up spiritually, bring them to true repentance so that they'll come back with, with a, re, a close relationship with God. Because you see, what... What church discipline, what this shows is when, you put, when we have to put somebody outside the body of Christ, they've broken their relationship. They're outside there. They are already there. In God's sight, their fellowship is already broken. But they don't know it. They don't see it. They don't feel it until they're put outside the body of Christ. And then they have a vivid picture of what has already happened spiritually to them. They might think they're in fellowship with God, but they're not. They're, it's broken. The fellowship is broken. And you're trying to shock them, just like we do with our kids. We, we come up with some kind of discipline that will shock them and, and, and wake them up and bring them back. And, it, and the whole goal is restoration. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5, and we believe it's probably the same person that he's talking about here. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 2, verse 5, it says this. 
if anyone, he's talking about forgiveness for the sinner, and he says, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Very likely the same person in 1 Corinthians. Verse 7, now instead you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. It's tough love. Verse 9, the reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we, not, we are not unaware of his schemes. And so the whole purpose is in love to restore them once they come to their senses. We have to do this. It's difficult. But God's word is very clear and it works. It works. When we, we put someone under uh, discipline here, we do it discreetly. We don't make it a big deal in front of everybody because we want to make it very easy for someone to come back. But you've seen us have to do this when someone is really breaking God's word. It's not a little thing, but it's an unrepentant heart over a very big issue. Uh, it, we make it easy to come back, but we have to put them under discipline and wait for God to break them. And then we receive them back with love. We welcome them back. Once they've repented, we welcome them back with open arms. That's the whole goal. Now, it's very important to do this. It's very important to practice church discipline because this is why. If we don't do this, or if we don't submit to God's discipline in our life, sin becomes even more serious. More serious. It becomes, number two on the list, a stronghold. A stronghold. When you talk about spiritual warfare, there's three different levels of spiritual warfare. The first level is what we hear often talk about as possessions. You see it on the horror movies. Somebody's possessed by a demon or something. It's real. Uh, not like in the movies, but it's real. Acts 16, 18, when Paul says, he says, in the name of Jesus, he's casting a demon out. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So we see Paul casting out demons. We've talked about that. It's, it's a real thing. It's not as... It's not as common as the movies make it, but it is real. Extreme cases, when someone has an extreme case of a stronghold, you, too many, you, le, you le, let Satan get too much of a foothold, for too long it becomes a, a possession. Also, there's another level, and that's spiritual attacks. Spiritual attacks. In 1 Peter 1, 5 to 8, I'm sorry, in 1 Peter 1, 5, 8 to 9, <laughs> here we go. 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9 says this. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. We are under constant spiritual attack. Constant. And we have to be aware of that. That's very, very important to understand. We experience this every day, spiritual attack. The question is, are we going to be ready? Are we going to fight it off? Or are we going to be taken down spiritually? That's the question. The third level is something that uh, we don't, don't, most Christians are kind of unaware of. And that's, I look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. And this one is a foothold. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a foothold. 
It's often called strongholds in the Christian jargon. Footholds, strongholds. And footholds are what most Christians are unaware of. He talks about anger here. But if you study the Bible, you see it could be anything. It could be anger. It could be food. It could be fear. It could be lust. It could be anything. I'll use a a house illustration of this. When you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Christ, when when you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he was your son, and I'm asking you to forgive my sin through your son who died on the cross for me. I'm, I'm, I ask you to forgive me, and I'm giving you my life. When you make that decision and give your life to Jesus Christ and ask for your forgiveness, the, the moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes in, and God owns the house. It's his house. He owns the deed to the house. And that will never change. The soul is, the soul is his, his master bedroom. He's there. But we have other rooms in our house. We have a physical body. We have a mind. We have emotions. Uh, we, have, we, we have other rooms in the house. And we can open doors through sin. We can open doors through sin and give Satan influence in our house. Not the soul, that's the master bedroom, but in, in the mind, in the body, in the emotions. We can, we can give a room in our house to Satan's control, to his, to, to his influence. All right, And we, op- we open those doors and, and that's where we get a foothold. We give Satan a foothold or we give him a stronghold. I'll use sexual sin as an example. This is an easy, easy illustration, but it could be anything. I'm just using an easy one to look at. Sexual sin is, is a really common foothold for, for, in our society for us, for humans. Uh, it starts out with looking. We start to look. Then it, start, then it moves into lusting. Not just looking, but lusting. Starting to think about someone you know, lustfully, sexually, in, in the wrong way. Someone who's not our husband or wife. God's very clear. One man, one woman, anything else... Outside of that, one man, one woman marriage is sin. Okay, so then often it goes into pornography, and then often it's self-sex, and then it goes into premarital sex or adultery, and you can fill in the blanks. It goes into all kinds of different things, and when that happens, it's now we have a spiritual stronghold, and often, sometimes it goes into the possession. Let me tell you, but you have a spiritual stronghold. Now there's a foothold that Satan is. It could be any step in that place where Satan has now established a foothold, and, it, and they call it addictions and disease. Listen, it's, it's a besetting sin. There, the Bible calls addiction besetting sin. We've opened the door to something. It's not a disease. It's sin is what it is. And we've given, we've opened up a door, and we've given Satan a foothold in our life, and we're going to have to fight our way out of it. That's what the Bible teaches. Or doors can be opened by other people. I'll, I'll stick to the sexual theme. If you've been sexually abused, and, and I know many people in our church have been sexually abused. We've helped many people get their healing. If, if you struggle in this area, talk to me, talk to Kim. We'll, we'll get you connected with the right person and, and get the help. But sexual abuse, what it does is it sparks fear in the person. And that fear can become a, a real stronghold that affects their entire life or it affects their, their sexual well-being and it, and it affects their marriage or, or they act, we end up acting out sexually because of what has happened to us. We start to act out. And, and that's, once again, now we have a foothold or a stronghold because of what it's done to us. Whether, whether we open the door through sin or so, it's open by someone else because of what they've done to us, Satan can use that to establish a foothold. Then he holds it over our head and he accuses us. And, 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 and then he attacks us and tempts us in that area. It's spiritual reality, okay? 
The key, biblically, to breaking this, and this is in your outline there, and I'm going to send out an email, two more detailed email with the verses so you can really look at it. The key is the four R's. Repent, renounce, resist, and renew. This is what the Bible teaches about breaking the footholds. Repent, renounce, resist, renew. Repentance, uh, I'll use 1 John 1, 9 again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And the word confession here is much deeper than just, God, sorry, I did this. The, the confession in the Bible goes hand in hand with repentance. Many places you'll see the repentance with it. And repentance is... Uh, it means to actually walk away. You're walking one way, and you actually turn around and walk the other way. That's what the word repentance means. It's not, oh, God, I'm sorry, I feel bad about that. Okay, we're good. It's not that. That is not repentance. That is not confession. That is not anything that's going to change our life or, or make things right with God. Right? It's, it literally means to you're walking one way and you go the other way. Think of you're walking. I'll use a dog illustration. You're walking your dog. You got him on leash. You're walking your dog. And you're having a nice little walk. And all of a sudden, your dog sees a cat and boom! You know, if you've got a big dog, you're dragging you after the cat. Right? That dog has just repented. They were going one way and they decided they're going to go another way. And your, arms out of, your arm socket's out of joint because they're, they, they've re, they're gone the other way. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. But that, that is a picture of we, we have to repent. It's not just to say, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I feel bad about that. You know, no, it's, I'm going to actually get away from that. I'm going the other way. That's repentance. Right, closely related to that is renouncing. Repenting is important, but also renouncing is also very, very important along with this. Proverbs 28.13 says this. It says this. It says, He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Confession, that repentance, and renouncing. And renouncing is, is, even, is even deeper. It means to break the, the power of something, to break the effect of something is when you renounce it. Um, think of you're walking your dog again, and your dog all of a sudden, boom, goes the other way. They've repented of walking where, you want, where they were going, but you still got the leash. And you pull on it, and you hang on, and it's still got the leash. And, and, but all of a sudden, he gets an idea. He turns around, he bites the leash, breaks it, and runs away. You know? he, he, now they've renounced. They not only have repented, they have renounced. That dog is now free, and we have to do the same thing. We often will repent of something, but there's still something holding us back. That's Satan's got that leash there, and we have to renounce. We have to break the power of that sin in our life. That's very, very important. The next R is resisting. Resisting. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It doesn't say resist the devil. It says submit yourself then to God. First step is submitting to God. Every time, you've got to go right to God. God, I need your help. I want to follow what you say. I may not want to follow what you say, but I know I'm going to follow what you say. And I need your help to resist Satan's attack now. And that's resisting. That's when, when you will go to catch your dog. He's broken the leash. You've got to go reattach the leash, and they keep running away, running away, running away. And, and that's a picture 
picture of, of what it means to resist. You don't let yourself get reattached. You don't let, there's all kinds of tricks. Think of the struggles in our life, the footholds, the strongholds in our life. And we know there's those triggers. You can't let those triggers, you've got to stay away from you. You can't let Satan get you again on that. I experienced this this morning. We, uh, this week, resistance. Um, this week we got two new kittens. All right, two new kittens. We, our other cat passed away. So we got two new kittens. And, and we got them and we keep them in, part of the day we keep them in the laundry room, mud room, because we keep the litter there and we want to let them get acclimated and use the litter and all that stuff. And uh, don't want them to go hide in some hole somewhere we can't find them, which they've done. So, so uh, we keep them there, but then we let them out part of the day and they run around and run around. But Kim want, has kept the basement door closed. So this cat, the cat, we, we lock the, garage, the basement because we we're going to lose the cat. We, we have the upstairs blocked off. So today I come down and I block off the upstairs so they can't go upstairs. And, and I forgot about the basement door. And I, let, I felt bad for the kittens. I'm up early and I'm getting ready to do church and I'm praying and I'm doing my sermon and all that. And I let the kittens out and they're running around and they're having fun and all of a sudden they're gone. I'm like, where did they go? And I'm like, the basement door is open. I left the basement. I'm like, oh, no. So I go down there, and I was able to catch the little boy. He came out. I I lured him out with something, and he came out to attack, and I grabbed him and got him upstairs. But I could not. I saw the little girl. She kept diving in the holes, and I couldn't get her. So Emily came down, and it was Emily and I down there trying to catch the cat, trying to catch it. She was crawling in all the holes for me and under this and under that, and we could not catch this thing. She's like a snake down there. And, and finally, I, I was getting really mad, and I was like, oh. So I shut all the doors I could, blocked all the holes I could, and I, it was like 8 o'clock, and I said, I'm going to go get Kim, you know, and she can lure her out, you know. And, and I, I went up the stairs, and, and I, on my way up, I removed that barricade and went up and got, went to get Kim. But uh, she didn't go down right away. She, you know, we were talking and stuff, and all of a sudden Emily comes running up and says, Dad, Dad, the, the cat came up the stairs. It came up, so I shut the door. It's not in the basement anymore, but you left open the steps now, and now it's probably upstairs. I can't find her. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, and she goes, Dad, you made two mistakes today. Emily, who's eight, right? You made two mistakes today. And she's going to lay it out for me. You didn't shut the basement door, and now you left the stairs open. <laughs> I go, no, Emily, I made one mistake. I said yes to kittens, you know? And I was like, yeah. I had to pray my way out of that attitude. But anyway, but the cat, I couldn't catch the darn thing, resisting. And that's what we have to do. We've, we've repented. We've renounced, we've broken the, the you know, we've, we're free, we're out of there, you know, there's no leash, no collar anymore. But then we can't let Satan catch us, we can't get reattached to it. And then, very, very important, this is where most people stop, they don't do the next step, we have to renew. We have to renew. Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So important, the renewing of our mind. So, so important. We have to start backing up in the process. We don't act out. Think of the foothold, stronghold we have. We don't want to act out on that anymore. We, don't, we, we stop the action that, that we were doing that is sin. But then we have to go back to what was feeding that. What was feeding that? Maybe the internet, TV, whatever. whatever we, we have to stop feeding that. We back up again. And then after we stop the action, we stop feeding it, then we're, the, where's the battle now? It's here. 
It's in the mind. And that's, that's the key. Once we are fighting the battle in our mind, we are there. We're at the real source of the battle. We're at the, we're at the place where we're going to have victory. And we have to keep renewing our mind and, and keep through God's word and through positive, you know, godly thinking. And, and we have to renew our mind, whether it's fear or depression or, or, or sin or what, you know, the temptations, whatever. We have to keep on renewing our mind. And when we do that, we, we, we start to break the strongholds in our life. We start to break them. We have to break those strongholds. And, and sometimes you can do that on your own. Some strongholds we can break on our own. We can, through God's word and through prayer, we break it. We have some great resources. Victory Over Darkness book is great. Uh, the Search for Significance is another super one. Excellent resources. But sometimes you can read through a book and you can pray through it and you can break certain strongholds. But some strongholds are so tough that we need help breaking them. And that's where you have to find another Christian brother or sister. Talk to me and I'll connect you. There's some, someone here that can help you with something, believe me. Or, or talk to Kim, she'll get you connected. Or with a good Christian counselor. But, but it's, we, we'll help you get connected and break those strongholds. It's vital, though, to deal with these strongholds in our life. Because they affect us. They affect our families. They affect our church. Think of if you have a stronghold of bitterness. If you bring a stronghold of bitterness into your family or you, know, you carry it into the church, what does it do? It poisons the church. It, the, it, you, you become toxic and divisive in the church because you bring that bitterness into the church. It's very important that we deal with these strongholds in our life. How is God speaking to us today? We're going to hit the rest, maybe the rest of them next week. We're going to hit the rest of them next week. But I want to just focus on these two, the sin and the stronghold today, and that's enough. What sin is keeping us from intimacy with Christ. What sin? What sin is keeping us from that close relationship with Jesus? What sin is keeping us from reaching our spiritual purpose, achieving our, our purpose that God has created us to achieve? What, what sin is keeping us from our spiritual potential? We all have this spiritual potential. We have a car that can go in four gears, but so many times we're stuck in first gear because some sin is keeping us back. What, what sin is, 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 is haunting us? I think of Superman and kryptonite all the time with this one. Superman could do anything. He's so powerful. I remember as a kid just watching Superman, loving watching Superman, but then there'd be that kryptonite. And they would use it and they would, Superman would start to get weak and he'd get on his knees and he'd be on the ground and the villain would have him then. I used to just be so upset. No, Superman, get away. There's kryptonite there. That was fun to watch TV with. But anyway, the... (laughs) But kryptonite, we all have kryptonite, don't we? Something in our life that is our weak point that will take us down if we don't, if we're not careful, something that will take us down. What's your kryptonite that you're going to, that this year, through God's grace, we're going to deal with? What stronghold? Maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's a stronghold. What's strong? We all have strongholds. What stronghold do you need to deal with? That in 2016, you say, you know what? I'm, by God's grace, I'm going to break this thing. I know I'll always have to deal with that. I'm always going to have to battle. I'm always going to have to face it. But by God's grace, I'm going to break its power in my life. No one knows it, but, but it's tearing me apart. It's tearing my family apart. It's hurting. It's wounding people. That's what it does. It, it's, it's eating us up. It's, it's tearing us apart. I'm going to tell you kind of a 
hard story, but it was in the news a few years back. There was a family, we were, when we were living in New England, there was a family that had a pet raccoon. And uh, not a good idea. They had a pet raccoon. It was little, it was cute, started to grow, started to get a little meaner, so they kept it in a cage. They kept this raccoon. They love it. They're, they're really cute when they're little, but they get mean. Trust me, we had pet raccoons. And so, uh, but they kept this raccoon longer than they should have kept it. And the parents decided they wanted to go. They had a little toddler, and they put it to bed. And they said, well, we're going to just go next door. There's a little tavern next door. We're going to have a few drinks and have dinner. And they'll come right back. The kid's sleeping. They're right there. No big deal, right? And uh, that's why they thought. Well, they came home. And if it came home to a gruesome discovery. That raccoon had pried its way out of the cage, had gone in where the little child was sleeping, and it chewed the kid's fingers all off. True story. It was in the news. Ate the fingers. And that child had to grow up without fingers because they kept that raccoon. We do the same thing. Strongholds in our life that we won't deal with, that are hurting us, that are hurting others, hurting our families, hurting other people, hurting people in the church. We hang on to them. They're eating us up. These strongholds in our life are eating us up or they're wounding people in our family. They're poisoning the body of Jesus Christ. But we don't have to let that happen. As Christians, if we're a Christian, we can repent, renounce, resist, and renew daily. It's not just a little one time I pray. No, it's a daily thing, every day. Every day I pray like, oh God, I repent, I renounce this, I resist this, I renew. It's a, it's a daily thing. And as we start to really break the power of it, it's a lot easier. Instead of praying ten times a day, we pray it once. But, but we start to break the power, and pretty soon we're only praying it once a week because we start to break the power of it. But, but it's very important that we keep breaking the power of these strongholds. We get the support and encouragement that we need. You are, listen, you are not, you think, so many people with the, with the strongholds, they think, well, I never deal with it because I'm just ashamed. If anybody knew I had this, they would be done with me. Listen, you are not alone. I don't care what you struggle with, what you have done. I don't care what it is. You are not alone. I guarantee you I can connect the dots with someone else in this church, family, who can help you with it. If I can't help you, because maybe I haven't struggled with it too, if I haven't, there's a lot of other people that have. Every You are not alone. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. We all struggle, every one of us. But you, we, you are not alone in that struggle, and you can get freedom in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, a lot of people are saying, I don't ever want to say what I did because it's so bad. But listen, no matter what you've done, you can confess it to someone here or to a Christian counselor and break free. There's a power in a secret. A secret sin, a secret, there's power. And when you confess it, that's why the Bible says, confess your sins one to another. It breaks the power of the lie. It breaks the power of the lie that you can't be forgiven for that. It breaks the power of, of the sin when you can confess it to someone. Believe me, I've done it. I know it in my own life, and I've seen it with many, many other people. It breaks the power. I want to encourage you to break the power of that as Christians and be free. And maybe you're here today, and you're not a Christian yet. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You are stuck in sin. 
You're in a quicksand pit. You're stuck. You're going down. You're stuck in sin. You're stuck in strongholds. But you don't have to leave that way. The first step to, to being free is putting your faith in Jesus Christ. The first step is freedom in Christ by putting your faith in him. John 8, 31 says this. He says, if you hold to my teaching... The second part there says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Verse 36 says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. No matter what you have walked in here with today, you can be set free. How could we find this freedom? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. By putting our faith in Jesus is the only way to be set free. Let's pray. Have you been set free? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? You may have walked in here this morning... Carrying a heavy load of sin, of strongholds, of regrets, of wounds and scars. But you don't have to walk out that way because we all walked in this way. We all came into the cross like that. But we can be forgiven. Because Jesus died on the cross in our place. He took our sin on that cross. And he said we can be forgiven if we will just put our faith in him. Ask him for forgiveness. Give our life to Jesus. Have you ever taken that step of faith? You can do it right now. You don't need a special religious ritual or a rite or a person. It's between you and God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Just say, God, please forgive me. For every sin I've ever committed, anything I've ever done against you, anything wrong, any way I've ever hurt anybody, forgive me because I'm repenting. I'm walking the other way now and I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus, your son, your one and only son. I put my faith in him. I believe he died for me. I believe he came back from the dead for me. I put my faith in him. And I'm going to follow him now. I give my life to you, God. Take me and make me who you created me to be who you want me to be. If you've prayed that prayer of faith, 
for forgiveness and faith and, and following God. The Holy Spirit has now come inside of you. The Spirit of Jesus is in you. And he's going to make you a whole new person. You already are a brand new person, but you're going to realize who you are in Christ now as you get to know him and as you spend time with him and as you grow in him. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've made that life-changing decision. Maybe you came with a friend or family member or tell me on the way out or fill out the card or text or call. Let let's me know or somebody know so that we can be excited because we will be really excited, but so we can encourage you and help you in your new life in Christ. For those of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe there's a sin that needs to be repented of. Could this be the day that we really repent? Maybe it's a stronghold that we begin the battle with. Repenting, renouncing, resisting, renewing. This could be the day that we look back on in 2016 and say that's when the stronghold The battle for that stronghold began. That's where my ultimate victory started that day. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit's deep conviction and encouragement as we fight these battles. We know they're not one in a day. Our salvation is, is immediate, but the sanctification that Living a holy life is something that we have to battle for day after day by your mercy and grace. Father, I pray that no one here would believe the lie that there's something that can't be forgiven or something that we can't be set free from, that we won't give up, that we will have hope in Jesus Christ. And I pray for each one of us that we'll know who we can trust and who we can talk to and, and how we can move forward spiritually in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.